0: Welcome to the podcast, With All Your Mind, hosted by me, Rachel Grimm. We're here to help understand the Bible with cultural and historical context, linguistic info, and other cool stuff. Enjoy. Alright, good afternoon, guys. Welcome back. Again, this is With All Your Mind. I'm Rachel, and... I didn't tell you guys this last time, but um, I thought of it when I was driving in the car today. That uh, you might wonder why did I even start this podcast? Is that I was looking for podcasts in in about the Bible, but dealing specific, specifically with language in the Bible, with Hebrew in the Bible, with Greek in the Bible, doing word studies, or basically kind of um, an academic type podcast about the Bible. I, I listen to Bible studies regularly and other things and I, I study a lot and I read a lot but I wanted to look for something that had um, kind of like deeper insights into into the Bible in a podcast form. And I wasn't really finding what I was looking for specifically. And so I've I've often been told this that if you if you see a need maybe you're the person to fill the need. And I thought, well, maybe I could do a podcast. So that's where this idea came from of why to do this podcast. So it started off with languages, but I knew that I couldn't keep it just within the realm of languages because you connect out with so many topics and ideas um, when talking about the Bible that you can't keep it just within language. At least I can't, and I don't really want to. Um, So... That's why we went a little bit broader with with All Your Mind, as in just knowing and studying and learning about the Bible, seeing what what we come up with. And there's a a lot. (laughs) And if you ever want to know where I'm getting my information or any of my resources, in the show notes, there are going to be my main uh, sources of information. Uh, I'm not going to include everything, but if you are wondering, hmm, if I want to know more about that, what book should I read or something like that, you can just look in the show notes and I'll probably list in there where I got some of my main ideas or some of the more technical information. Uh, For instance, in this episode, I used the, and get this one, the dictionary of deities and demons in the Bible. (laughs) There's a dictionary about that that's where I got some of the information about uh, the Ugritic God that I'm going to mention and stuff like that so yeah you can always check my references check check on me make sure that I'm saying something that's true like for instance in the last episode I said that knowing Hebrew in Jesus time might have been like uh, a Catholic knowing Latin before Vatican II I'm going to amend that just a little bit and say maybe it'd be like a French speaker or an Italian speaker and being Catholic and hearing Latin. It It would be reminiscent of your own language. You would understand it to a degree, but it's not your language. So that's how it would be probably for an Aramaic speaker to know Hebrew. Familiar, but kind of old and outdated and just not your language anyway. All right. So we're going to get started on today's topic, the names of God. But first, before you talk about the names of God, you have to know what God you're talking about, right? And you might think that's a bit of an overkill and not really necessary. But then again, if you've ever found yourself in an existential crisis about who God is, and is any of this real? um, you'll know that sometimes you just need to start from the ground up. So, um, one of the sources that I don't have listed in the show notes for this is *Mere christianity by C.S. Lewis. He talks about some of these basic ideas, basic philosophical ideas. That's where I'm getting some of my ideas for this. But who is the God of the Bible? Well, here are some of the basic characteristics that he says about himself and that we can generally understand from reading the Bible, all right? So he's the creator of everyone and everything. Uh, all matter and all spirit is created by him. He's omnipresent, meaning everywhere. He's omniscient, meaning knowing everything. He's omnipotent, meaning he can do everything or anything. And he's eternal, which ha- means no beginning and no end. He has always been and always will be. Those are kind of those basic facts that if you look up, um, what are the basic characteristics of God <laughs> and you just Google it, that those are the things that you're going to find. It didn't strike me until recently that that tells us what a deity is, what a powerful deity is, a powerful God, lowercase g, That doesn't tell us anything about our God's personality, the God of the Bible, about what he is like and who he is. So that's what we're going to talk about now. Um, We might turn some of these topics or characteristics into episodes later on, so we're just going to go through them kind of quickly. But God is preeminent, meaning he's the most powerful and the one in charge in charge of what though, right? If, if you say you're in charge, but then you're not in charge of anything, are you really in charge? It's like the tree falling in the forest, <laughs> you know? If it doesn't have an impact, does it really exist? So if, if God says he's in charge, what is he in charge of? And we have to consider that he created other spiritual beings and some of them rebelled against him. So it's important that he's more powerful than those other created beings, even if they don't want him to be. Okay. Next up, he's holy, which means he's separate and he is not one of his creation. He is the only non-created being, which automatically just makes him unique. If he created everything else and he did not, he is not created. He's one of a kind. Um, and he is all of that kind. He is not um, mixed up with his creation. He is totally unique and separate from, distinct from his creation. Um, He has standard for himself, and he always holds himself to those standards. That's a, um, I was, I was thinking about this topic a lot a few months ago, and that that is a huge distinction between God and other, even just mythological characters, like in Greek mythology, those gods might have had standards, but then they had temper tantrums and then they're suddenly destroying cities or, and I've read, been reading about classical mythology a bit lately, and like, I did not realize how much rape was in Greek mythology, like so, so much rape. It's just disgusting. And, but, but God, He has standards and He holds Himself to it. So that is automatically sets Him apart from everything, (laughs) everything else, because He does it perfectly. Next up, and this is something that has become a favorite feature or characteristic of mine, of, of God's is that he is creative and intelligent. He's not a robot or a logic machine. Um, we, we sometimes say, at least at my church, that you know God isn't like a, a vending machine or the big Santa in the sky that just shoots out good deeds and nice fuzzy things. Um, but I also really like that he's not a logic machine. You don't insert an idea and he spits out a solution um, or something like that. He is so much more than logic and order. He is creative and intelligent. And you put those two characteristics together, creativity and intelligence, and that's how you get beauty with order, you know? Like a rainbow has a certain order, and there's all sorts of science behind it, Um, but there's beauty in that order, so the creativity with intelligence. Uh, results in something really cool. Um, so he he both has creativity and intelligence, and he enjoys creativity and intelligence and beauty, both his own creativity and beauty, and that from others. Have you ever thought about this? That God enjoys our creativity, and He wants to hear our ideas. How do we know that? Because He asks for ideas of people in the bible and he lets us do some of our ideas i think that's really cool next up god is love which means he unconditionally offers his love to all Um, and that is a universal and eternal offering of love he is always offering his love and it's for everyone universal and eternal But you can contrast that with God works within covenants with people, and those covenants are conditional. So that means that he's always willing to offer love, but he has standards for people. He's not a doormat. He's not going to just uh, lay down and take whatever we throw at him with no consequences. So that leads to God is wise, Uh, He can think about and through and over and around every single angle of every single topic and understand how every action will be played out from here until eternity so that he knows exactly what is the best, what is the wisest. And at the same time as all of that, (laughs) this is also a mind-blowing one to me, God has free will we have free will. That's a, you know, a basic tenet of Christianity that we have free will. God also has free will. So he values it in his creation because it is also one of his characteristics. Um, So there's a few in there that um, were really surprising to me. The more I thought about them, the more I realized, well, this is a really unique set of characteristics that is not common (laughs) to find. Um, so that's God. And if you don't agree with me on one of those or a couple of those or how I portrayed it, um, let me know. I'm, I'm curious to see if you, if you see it a different way, but there's my short list of God's characteristics. So it's just good to know who we're talking about, because if you're talking about a person's name, and it reflects anything about their character or their personality or their values, you need to know who, who you're talking about first. All right, so we're going to start out with names where the Bible starts out in Genesis. The first reference we have to a name of God is in Genesis 1, and that name occurs 26 times in Genesis 1, and that name is Elohim. Uh, So we need to define what that name means, what it is, and what it isn't. Um, I think it's one of the most misunderstood names of God in the Bible. Um, I don't know what you know about this name, but I, I think before I really studied Hebrew, I thought of this word, Elohim, as just being a name of God, pretty much like Yahweh or Jehovah. And we're going to talk about those names in the next episode, so we'll, we'll get into those a bit more in this one, but we'll talk about them a lot more in the next one. And that name, Yahweh, or Jehovah, is the personal name for God, his particular name in the way that my name is Rachel, his name is Yahweh, or Elohim, uh, sorry, or Jehovah, eh, Elohim, is not his personal or specific name. Yahweh and Elohim are both words that refer to God, but they are distinct from each other, and Elohim has more than one meaning. That You might be familiar with that idea, but we're going to get into it a bit more here. Elohim is a Hebrew plural word meaning gods. It is plural. Elohim, anything with em on the end of a word in Hebrew is plural. Um, so Elohim, it should, um, it should now, you can kind of categorize it in your brain now as if you have E on the end, it's plural. So Elohim, when you hear that, it's plural. And I wrote, so when I wrote that sentence, I'm going to read it again. Elohim is a Hebrew plural word meaning God's. And I wrote that in my notes with a lowercase g, not an uppercase, you know. It's kind of, <laughs> it's pretty much blasphemous, right, to, to write gods with an uppercase g, right? But we can write gods with a lowercase g, and we see that in the Bible, right? And I want you to think for a second, when you see that gods, lowercase g in the Bible, what do you think of? What does it refer to? What does it reference to you? Elohim in the Bible is very often used to mean Yahweh, but it doesn't always mean Yahweh. So Elohim can mean God, um, but it doesn't always. Just know that Elohim with a little e and Elohim with a big E are referring to two different things. So um, what is being referred to all through Genesis 1, where I just remembered, or I just um, referenced where we see Elohim for the first time. That's all referring to our God, Jehovah or Yahweh. But in its very general sense, Elohim just means spiritual being or spiritual beings. Spirit. Um, I don't know if there's another word you like to use for that. But let's let's check this. Is it okay? Is that okay? Is God a spiritual being? Yes. Does he belong to the spirit realm or the spirit world or the spiritual side of things? Yes, yes, and yes. Are there other spiritual beings that belong to the spirit world? Yeah. So Elohim is in a lot of ways a generic term for a spiritual being. So it can reference God, or can reference other spiritual beings. So what am I talking about, spiritual beings? We have a lot of different words in English for that. And there's a couple of different words in Hebrew and in Greek for those things too. But we can say angels, demons, cherubim, um, and God the Father. They're all spiritual beings. We live in the physical world, the world of matter and stuff spirits live in the spiritual world that we can't see so it's it feels mysterious but it's just um it's just a reality that if we're christians we've already agreed exists because we believe in god he created a spiritual world and a physical world um anything that belongs to the spiritual world can be called elohim all right so far so good (laughs) Um, you could also call him God with a lowercase g, gods, divine spirits, heavenly beings. You know, there's a lot of different terms that we can use. So next up and very related, we have the shorter and very similar L. don't know where you would have um, seen this word before, but L is simply the singular form of Elohim. So one L, many Elohim. Um, El is just one spirit being. Now, this gets a little bit tricky because you can get into a whole really huge debate about whether Elohim is referring to the Trinity while just referencing God the Father or just God as he was known in the Old Testament. I'm not going to get into all of that. That's a huge can of worms. But you have to consider the fact that there was Elohim and El, and both of them could be referring to God, and they could both be referring to just spiritual beings, right? Elohim being plural and El being singular. So I'm just gonna skip over that huge can of worms and talk about El just a little bit. El and Elohim and El are both Semitic words because Hebrew, remember, is a Semitic language. Is a Semitic name for God. There was a city-state north of Israel in modern-day Syria, just kind of straight north of Israel on the coast, the Mediterranean coast. The name of the city-state was Ugarit. And if you study the Near East or Near Eastern literature, or even Hebrew at a major university that has a good program, they might have Semitic studies. Ugaritic, the language of Ugarit, is one of the languages you might actually study because it's a um, contemporary language for biblical Hebrew. And that city state, Ugarit, had a name, a god named El. And when I was first like researching this, and I was thinking, what, what does this mean, right? That we have our god, Elohim, and then his name can be in compound names, El Shaddai. El Elyon, um, and then in names of Bible characters, Eliezer, Elijah, Elisha, El, we consider that part of the name of God. What does it mean that this pagan city had a pagan god named El? I didn't, and I didn't understand. And I was thinking about it for a while, and then it occurred to me that, duh, like, we have a very generic word in English for God, it's, it's God. That can refer to like, okay, who is the God in Islam? It's Allah. But we say God. Um, it's just a very generic term. It, we, we capitalize it in English, and that is supposed to refer to the God of the Bible. But it's just a capital letter that differentiates it between any God and our God. It's the same thing in Ugarit that they had a god named El. Their god was just called God, and our god was just called God. That shows you just how simple and general that term was, El and Elohim. And by the way, very interesting, that Ugaritic god named El might be where we get the idea of a grandfatherly god, one that holds a staff and has this long flowing white beard and you can it's it's almost like Santa Claus and you might as well be sitting in his lap the ugaritic god el had had that uh, appearance so that might be where sometimes like is it the sistine chapel where god kind of looks like a grandfatherly figure that picture of him might have actually come from a ugaritic god all right so Next up, we're going to, we're going to keep moving along here. I don't want to make this too long for you guys. Um, The first time we see the personal name of God, Yahweh, is in Genesis 2, 4. This is the name that's called uh, the Tetragrammaton, uh, the YHVH, the unpronounceable name. We have a lot of nicknames for it because we don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, I'm going to go into more detail on this name in uh, the next episode, so I'm not going to go into it too much, but just some basic facts about it. The names means something like I am and will be, the being one. It's a little bit untranslatable, but the point of it is the one who is, the being one, the existent one. It reflects a few of the key characteristics of God that we talked about, such as his omnipresence and his eternality. He exists. He never had a beginning and he will never end and he can be and is everywhere. So that's all in his name. No other beings, physical or spiritual, can say all of those things because we're all created. God was not created. So he's different and that's summed up in his name. Just an interesting thought that our spirits and other spiritual beings, depending on your theology, we won't die. Our spirits won't die. So we're eternal in the sense that we have no end, but we have a beginning. We were created at some point. God didn't. God never had a beginning. By the way, I heard once that Yahweh, the name Yahweh, the Y-H-V-H, is a portmanteau of Hebrew words. A portmanteau is a word that has parts of several other words kind of bundled together to make a new word that makes you think of all the meanings of the original words. So some examples that we're pretty familiar with. Brunch, breakfast and lunch. Uh, Podcast, I didn't know this one is from iPod and broadcasting. I didn't know where the pod came from. I should have guessed though. Smog is from Smoke and Fog. And so Yahweh or the YHVH might be a portmanteau or a combo kind of smushing a bunch of words together or parts of them. A portmanteau for the Hebrew words for I was, I am, and I will be. They're all in there. It's, it's, a uh, I saw it spelled out in Hebrew and it makes sense. It's possible. We don't know if that's true, but that might be a good way to remember what his name means. It's a, a combination of words or it's a representation to mean eternal and omnipresent. No. Okay, so um, like I said, we're going to go into this more on the next one, but that name Yahweh was considered too holy to be said out loud, and eventually, and it's around the Babylonian captivity of the 500s BC, uh, the people of Israel stopped using Hebrew as their everyday language, and they forgot how to pronounce God's name. Uh, There's probably a bit more to it than that, but we will talk about that more in the next episode. So we say Yahweh or Jehovah, but we really don't know exactly how to pronounce it. We're just getting kind of close enough and calling it good enough. That's what what we're doing. All right, now we're going to move on to what we call the compound names of God. And those are the names that are made up of a part of Elohim or Yahweh and are put together with an attribute or a phrase that describes God. And very often in the Old Testament, this was done when God did something for a person and that person gave God a nickname to describe what he did, or maybe a quality that he has. They would see that action that God did as defining his care, or his loyalty, or his strength. And we're not going to go through all of them because there are a lot, but we're going to go through a sprinkling of them for some samples. The first one is Genesis 22. Abraham is taking Isaac up on Mount Moriah to sacrifice him. Uh, God asks Abraham to do this as kind of a, a show. Do you really trust me, Abraham? And do you, are you willing to give me anything? And God asks Abraham to sacrifice Isaac on a mountain that he will show him. So they're traveling, traveling, traveling for three days. Three days, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a lot of little things with three, the number three in the Bible. And as they're traveling, um, they don't know where they're going. God shows them the mountain. And Abraham and Isaac head up by themselves. And they don't have any animals with them, at least not any sacrificable ones. And Isaac asks, uh, Yodada, uh, where's the sacrifice? Where's the lamb, specifically? And Abraham responds and says, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb. And you could probably do like three or four podcasts just on the scene alone. Um, But we're going to focus on the name. Um, And then God, after Isaac or after Abraham says, God will provide the lamb. God then provides a ram, not a lamb, but a ram. And verse 14 tells us that Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. And that phrase is, you might have heard this in song form, Jehovah Jireh, which is really (laughs) wrong with its pronunciation, but um, you know how I feel about those J's in there. So um, my, my biblical Hebrew pronunciation isn't the greatest because I learned first through modern Hebrew. But it's something more like Yahweh, Yare, Yara. Um, But that is, the Lord will provide. Abraham called that spot, the Lord will provide, because God did provide. And he spared his son as a part of that. So that was an important, really meaningful, and I'm sure emotional time for Abraham and he calls that place the Lord will provide Um, but it's called Jehovah Jireh which we now use as a name for God Uh, next up El Shaddai that's a few chapters back in Genesis 17 and God appears to Abraham and calls himself El Shaddai El Shaddai the Almighty God is what that means so there Nobody is giving that name to God. God is giving himself that name. So that happens too. Another name, um, and this one, I, I always just wondered, what is this name about? Because it doesn't make sense. And I, what, <laughs> what is this name? And it's because the, the pronunciation is so bad on it. And it's partly because of the way the Hebrew is spelled out in English. So I'm going to blame it on English, I guess. But the, the name, ah, I have a hard time even saying it the wrong way now. It's probably seen, you might see it as Jehovah, um, Seboeth. I think that's how a lot of people pronounce it. Jehovah or Yahweh Seboeth. It is Yahweh Sevaot. Sevaot. Um, (laughs) it's just so, so wrong. But, um, you, you might have heard that one defined as Lord of Hosts, which is right, but that's based on King James translation, which makes it kind of um, really hard to understand what is Lord of Hosts. And I think I always just imagined, I, like they say, a host of angels. And so I just imagine a choir of angels, right? And it wasn't until I went to Israel and I learned that the... It's either the military or just the army is the Tseva. It's the Tseva. Tsevaot oh, it's, it's plural. It's the army. So it's the Lord of Armies. It's kind of like calling him the Commander-in-Chief or the War General. It's, it's a really hardcore, cool name for a very powerful figure. It's not choir director. It's Commander-in-Chief. Of a dictatorship. By the way, it's not like commander in chief, and you have to wait for Congress to declare war. No, you are Congress, and you are the president. It's much more um, powerful than our president. Okay, the next one that we have, well, we're just gonna we're gonna list off a couple with their with their translations because there's, like I said, so many of them. Um, Jehovah Nisi, God is my banner. Jehovah Rapha, God who heals, and Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness. And there are a lot of others. The last one of these types of compound names that I'm going to list here is El Elyon. This one is a pretty cool name that I, I guess I thought of as kind of old fashioned. Uh, Maybe we just don't hear it as much anymore, but the usage in the Bible is pretty interesting. It's God Most High or the Most High God. And it's used by Melchizedek and a few other people through the Bible. I think it's pretty self-explanatory. Our, our God is the greatest. Which <laughs> brings us to our last category of names. The random stuff that I don't have a good category for. That's our last category. Uh, there's just a lot of other names and I'm going to include ones that are in the New Testament as well, which refer to, some of them refer to Jesus, some of them refer to the Holy Spirit. Um, so I'm now going to be referencing the Trinity, um, but there's one such as the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And again, if you say Lord of Lords and King of Kings, um, this doesn't always just refer to Our physical world, it also references the spiritual world, saying if God is Lord of lords, he is higher than other spiritual beings as well. That should be a really uh, calming fact, that if you've ever had spiritual experiences that are weird and crazy and scary, um, our God is more powerful than all other spiritual beings. So, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the Bright and Morning Star, the Maker, Father, Advocate, Author of Life. Um, And then there's other ones that are phrases, and I didn't write any down for this one, but if you even just come up with a phrase that says, he who, I think it was Hagar, uh, Abraham's concubine. She called um, God the one who is and sees me. That's a bit like that he who. There's a lot of names that just start with he who, and they're not really names, they're descriptions. But some of these other things are descriptions too. And so depending on how you look it up and what reference or what, you know, resource you're looking at, You can find lists for the names of God, and some of them say there are 30 names for God, and some of them say there's 70 names for God, and one of them was like, there's 900 names for God. Like, okay, that's a bit much. But there's a lot of ways that God is referenced. And what does that say? What does that mean? What can we, (laughs) who cares, right? What's the point? And one thing we can say about it is that God is very, and by God, I mean Yahweh or Jehovah, we can say that he is very multifaceted. If everyone saw him the same way, and he represented himself to people in the same way, we wouldn't have nearly this number of names or descriptions. And you can talk about, you know, people, God treats people, or shows himself to them in ways that they can understand and in ways that they can handle. But God can portray himself all of those different ways. So it isn't just about who we are and how God treats us, but who God is and how he can treat us. I don't know if that makes sense, but it makes sense to me in my head. So that must count for at least me. You can't put God in a box. There are so many things to know about him, some very clear characteristics and things that he holds himself to, but you can't control God in your mind and demand that he be one way all the time to everyone or just to you or whatever the demand is in your brain for how you expect to and want to see God and experience him. He's too big for that and he's probably not going to do that. Uh, it's not going to work. So for me, that's a great reminder to not demand or expect from God what he hasn't explicitly told me that I can expect or demand. Yeah. He's creative. He's intelligent and he's all powerful. That's one heck of a combination of characteristics that can surprise you in a lot of different ways and, and good ways, but creative intelligent and powerful i don't want to limit that uh, i hope you don't want to limit that um, but if we just let god be god it's going to be pretty interesting so i'm going to stop that there um i was thinking about you know do we still give nicknames to god uh, does anybody do that let me know if you do that uh, i don't i don't give nicknames to god I see different faces from him. Um, I feel different emotions from him, but I don't think I give him many different names. But people did not that in the Bible to reference how God showed himself to them or how he provided. And we just have a whole huge catalog of ways that we can know God and experience him and how he was experienced and how he was known. So just all sorts of things, and it'd be pretty interesting, actually, to go through and do a study on all of the names of God and what that shows about God. Uh, hmm. I might do that sometime. So anyway, that's all I have for today. I hope you guys enjoyed, and we'll see you again another time. All right. Have a good one. Bye.